This is Kari Gale. And this is Tony Critz. Welcome to the Pilgrim Lost Podcast, a space for those who wander and wonder. Happy Pilgrim Tuesday. This will be posted on a Tuesday. So good to be here on Pilgrim Lost. Hi, Kari. <laughs> Hi, Tony. How was your weekend? How was your post-election weekend? Um, it was actually pretty good. I, I actually had dinner with my mom, and we had a lovely time. Um, good. If you remember from a few, not, I know you remember, but if our listeners uh, have been with us the last few months, then they'll remember that my dad passed away a few months ago. So I'm spending a lot more time with my mom, and um, it's interesting because she and I have very, very, very different political beliefs. Ah. Mm-hmm. So we, we choose not to talk about them. And um, I'm curious if, if that's the general state of being for most everyone. Is, are people choosing if there's a difference to, to, to keep the peace and not engage? Or are there conversations that are being had that are where people are able to have a discourse being from opposite sides of the blue and red divide. What do you think? Well, I think it's really hard right now. I think um, harder than I can remember because people are speaking from positions of absolutes. And, um, and again, there's, there's just this tendency to be offended right now. Somebody has a different opinion that tends to be translated into an offense against me. Like if you're on the other side of the political conversation and you bring up your opinions and you state those opinions as absolutes and often with a negative uh, way of spinning the opposite view that the other side is just stupid or something, then people get super offended and they get super wounded. And I think it's because a lot of our self identity has become wrapped around these political categories. I think, um, uh, there's a there's a general human malaise right now where people don't know who they are, and so they superimpose their identity on these large political stories in order to feel like they're a part of something or feel like they belong, or really because they just don't have enough sense of their own personal identity. And I, I I'm I'm a victim to that too, and I get I get frustrated by it. And I mean, I just there's just times I can't believe the things that go through my head. Like, like I can't believe what you're saying right now. You sound like you believe in a flat earth. The way you're yeah. Talking, you know, and I'm, and I have those thoughts go through my head, like very critical as opposed to just, oh, this person thinks differently than me. Why don't I just want to hear why? I don't think that. I think, oh, you're a flat earther. Nice. You know, it's terrible. <laughs> oh gosh. I, I know what you mean. I know what you mean. And, and, and it can be, even more, um, you know, when it's the other, when it's this group of people out there, you know, because we, within the context of Portland, um, you know, we're, we're a blue state for the most part, but our blue state comes from Portland and outside of Portland, it's not a blue state. Right. And even, you know, just like, like I'm saying in this conversation with my mom, she's one of the dearest, closest people in my life. And how do I how do you how do you navigate that and so um you know we 
And we got into, you know, we got into some of the conversation, obviously, about what's going on in the city right now with, with, with what just happened with uh, Kate Brown's announcement for Oregon. You, of course, heard of all of that and have been, I'm sure, pondering it, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so, Port so Portland, all of Oregon's going into lockdown starting on Wednesday for at least two weeks. And it sounds like Portland's going to be in lockdown for four weeks. And when they say lockdown, it's like restaurants have to close, sort of lockdown. No gatherings more than five people. Six, six, six people. Six people. Um, and those six people can only be from two families. Yeah. Can't be six yeah. people, all from different places. You know, two families can get together, up to six people, and that's it. So um, it's it's getting intense. It's and I, I want to get back to that in a minute. Um, yeah. But I wanted to tell you about my weekend. Oh yeah, sorry. I was I, I just went down the jumped down a rabbit trail. And um, how was your weekend? Well, I spent the weekend in a warehouse, uh, a warehouse in Southwest Portland, organizing books, organizing fifty thousand books. Had these crates, these massive crates that were given. So I help run the Children's Literacy Project. It's a nonprofit that's based here in Portland, but it's a nationwide movement. And um, so, Carl, we've never, I don't think we've ever really gotten into this on the podcast, but um, two out of every three children that grow up in uh, a home at or below the poverty line, their home has zero books. And in, in poor neighborhoods, in poor neighborhoods, statistics say that one, there's one book for every 300 children one age-appropriate book for every 300 children in impoverished neighborhoods. And um, so it's just, it's incredible. So a lot of- That's awful. That's <laughs> awful. Think about my upbringing, like my grandmother, she couldn't stop giving me books, you know, growing up. I, I, had, I had books around me all the time. You know, trips to the library were a regular part of life. And, um, and yet so many children grow up, and this is why, they, um, why cycles of poverty continues because um, we don't we don't have the basic resources in place for kids to change the story mm. and metaphorically yeah so um, anyway so this really this really powerful story that's you know it's one of those things you just can't describe it's just like the universe goes gonna bless you today um, this one organization contacted another organization kind of another organization that was that was in communication with the Disney Corporation and Disney of course has got warehouses full of books right now because of covid and they're like well we'll just send you 50,000 books in these gigantic crates that are the size of like a friggin DeSoto and uh, we <laughs> that's amazing random just hundreds and hundreds of different titles all randomly stuck together and so we were we were running around making stacks of books and there's probably 400 different titles that we were given. Some of the books we have maybe 500 books of that. Well, I'm sure were you set up to do like have some sort of infrastructure to like, oh, well, we can take 50,000 books. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, no. So me and my three teenage boys have been organizing and then a bunch of volunteers came in all weekend and we were just building these, I mean, it looks like, it looks like a city of just piles, towers of books. Some of the stacks are five feet tall of all these books. And then um, we're already in relationship with a bunch of uh, cities around Portland, and particularly that have a large percentage of Title I schools, children that come from at or below the poverty line. And uh, we've already distributed something like 30,000 books to these schools. And now we're expanding to a bunch of the small towns around Oregon, a lot of red Oregon. Um, mm. We'll be getting books. So we're yeah. in, in Southwest Washington as well. Anyway, so that's what, that's what I've been working on all weekend. It's been, it's been 
pretty incredible. And to do it with, with my boys has been really fun. Yeah. And this ties directly into this, this big, um, this documentary that you're making, correct? Yes. Yeah. So, um, one of my other big projects is making this documentary on the national pandemic of illiteracy mm. that um, every year, fewer and fewer, a, a, a larger and larger percentage of Americans cannot read. And we're talking about adults as well as children. And um, it's, it's the largest indicator of whether or not someone will live chronically within the system, meaning yeah. they're not working and contributing to the system, but they're, they're really dependent upon the system that taxpayers pay for. And quite frankly, um, the quality of life is so low because that system involves the prison system. It involves welfare system. It involves, um, you know, poor health and poor medical, you know, it's just, it's every area of life is, in, is affected when you, when you can't read at a, at a reasonable level in order to get a, a, a decent paying job. And so we really, we want to, we want to affect the, this problem generationally. And as opposed to waiting at the end of the story to rescue people as they're mm. coming out of prison or to try and find more ways to get more food programs on the end of the story, let's go to the beginning of the story and help young people get these very, very first tools to be able to survive and navigate the American system. And, um, and the statistics are really, really strong. If a child learns to read at grade level in, by third grade, third grade's this really magical number, um, there's, like a, there's like a 90% chance that they're gonna graduate from high school. And if they don't, um, there's 67%, uh, if, if they don't read by grade level by third grade, there's a 67% chance that they end up in prison or chronically on welfare. So this, this it's just like this, this, you know, it was a very simple metaphor of like, if you don't give people good food, you're going to have to treat the disease at the end with medication. And you just want to get them the good food, which is the books and the reading. And I grew up from, I grew up a block from a library and um, we were constantly checking books out. In fact, <laughs> they had to make a new rule for us because we checked out so many books. I think it was my sister that first did it, that they actually had to institute a like 20 book you know, a day rule. <laughs> and, um, you know, my sister, like her first internship was working for the librarian. And it was such a huge part of our lives. And we didn't actually grow up with a television. So that was our lifeline. And, and I truly believe that reading and I, I started reading really early, I started reading at the age of four, that that set me up for, you know, a really, I wouldn't say simple, but a very, a very, um, you know, easy scholastic path. And it just breaks my heart that that would be this, it's, it's like completely a problem that we can solve. And, but it just, yeah. And Cara, I just think you're illustrating why this is such, why this is such an invisible problem. Because from your paradigm, it's almost, I imagine it's almost impossible to, to just conceive that children wouldn't have access to books. Like for me, I can't right. even know the world where kids no. have books. And yet there's these massive swaths of society where kids have no access to books. And so no wonder they don't read. Um, mm. So how, how can like, okay, so how can someone like me help in your project? Like what, well, what can we, can we do something at this point? Well, um, children's literacy project or .org, and uh, 
the right now is is really challenging because mostly what we do is we arrange uh, mentor re- reading reading buddy programs across yeah. where because the great thing about being a reading buddy to a first second or third grader is it's one of the few things that we can actually measurably say change a life that anybody is qualified to do mm. you know if you're 17 or 75 and you know how to read you can be a reading buddy and yeah. being a reading buddy is this hard you sit down next to a child and together you read a book and you know the book's going to be fairly simple to read so you don't even have to be a great reader to be a great reading buddy to somebody so um and it's something that retirees can do it's something that college students can do and can really really affect kids lives and our goal with this documentary sentence is to put a million to put a million reading buddies in impoverished schools across the country that's the that's the goal so that's amazing well, good on you. You had a really, um, well, I, I, I did a lot of sleeping this weekend as well. Um, <laughs> you definitely, <laughs> maybe, maybe the, your, your good works in the world will balance my long nap. <laughs> great, great. I'm happy. I'm happy to give you some of my good works if you could somehow infuse me with some of your, re- some of your sleeping because I'm exhausted. Walking around on concrete all weekend and Oh, it's the, that's the worst. The worst. All right. What's next? Oh, hey, I wanted to read. um, I wanted to, I got a really nice uh, email from a listener. And um, so I wanted to, to, to bring that, bring that to you. I haven't read, I haven't sent this to you yet. So, all right. um, So I got this from a lovely gentleman named Eric and he said, just listen to my Pilgrim Last, I can't even say my own name of a podcast. Just listen to my Pilgrim Lost podcast. My Pilgrim Yeah, which I thought was really nice. Like he's, my yeah. Pilgrim. Yes, it is yours, Eric. It's your podcast. Your podcast. Getting raw about faith. I'm an Episcopal priest and just wanted to say that I found this podcast so genuine and opened areas of thought for me. I, along with my wife and youngest daughter, have walked the Camino in 2016 and 2019. And then he quotes you, the Camino is church. Powerful words, truthful words, a great interview. Thank you for this blessing. Wow. Thank you, Eric. Eric, wherever you are, reach out to us again. Um, Maybe we can exchange a few, a little correspondence with you. I'm interested about your, your experiences on the Camino and big fan of Episcopal priests. So nice. (laughs) There you go. Uh, It was really... It was nice to have that compliment. I'll tell you, uh, and I've told you this off camera or off, 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 off recording, off microphone. Uh, just being on the the side of the the interview, the interviewer side was, you know, normally kind of we have this sort of balanced, you know, sort of dialogue between the two of us. And that particular podcast I was on, I was more the interviewer and. Man, that was a hard thing for me. It's challenging. I, you have a, a long history of, of doing speaking engagements, interviewing folks. Mm-hmm. And this was really my first time being kind of exclusively the interviewer. And I have to give you some props, Tony. It, it's, not, it's, not a, it's not an easy thing. So, According to Eric, you did a great job. So thanks, Eric. You really made my day. <laughs> yes. Okay, let's, um, let's, let's, let's jump back into... Oh, yeah. The COVID thing, just, yeah. um, and it's circle back in a bunch of states. 
there's this new lockdown. I mean, you, I'm sure everyone has been on TV and seen the arc of the pandemic and how it's just shooting up through the roof and um, vaccines are still months away and people are getting really nervous. Oregon has done pretty well compared to the other states as far as keeping our numbers down, but even now we're spiking, which has caused Kate Brown, our governor, to, to do, you know, I think about as strict nationally as any state is the rule starting on Wednesday. And um, Kari, uh, I don't know about you, but for me, and I'm sure for a lot of our community, um, I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to go stricter again. I'm, I'm exhausted. I'm so tired of not being able to just go sit in a cafe for the afternoon and read a book. Um, how are you feeling? I am completely there. I, um, one of the things that I noted, you know, as I've been listening to, you know, what, what people have been responding, how they've been responding to, to this particular quote unquote freeze, the freeze that we're doing here in Portland. Um, you know, I was just telling my sister, I'm like, these, the, the folks that are doing this, they are, I do believe they're trying their very best. I do believe that, you know, it's not some sort of manipulative thing to try to force our economy to shut down. You know, the, 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 the fact of the matter is, is our hospital beds are getting full and right. there has something has to happen. So regardless of what you think about it, that really is the hard stop there. So as I have been listening to that, you know, I look at the rules and they make sense to me, but I just still breaks my heart. Like our little, uh, right around the corner from my apartment or my apartment, my tiny house. Um, that was weird. Uh, there's a wonderful coffee shop that I frequent. You've been there many times. Yeah. And then there's a pizza joint and they just built this beautiful outdoor shelter right. that is, it's gorgeous. And, you know, for people to sit outside because the restaurant, the pizza joint called the pocket pub, we love you pocket pub. Um, they have not been doing any indoor seating. They've only been doing outdoor seating and they built this wonderful structure. So people would be protected and warmer as they eat outside and people are still, you know, they are supporting them. It's always full. And now that even has been stopped. And I just, uh, I just, I'm not affected in, in the way I don't own a business, but I, I just, my heart is breaking. And so it feels really, it just feels, you know, we've been going and going and now it, it, it just makes you just want to sit down by the side of the path and not move anymore. You know, just, it's really sad. So just, um, in light of the theme of this, of this pod and our ongoing conversation, um, Kari, could you just talk a little bit about the Camino and the middle of the Camino and what it's like when you get to that point and you're not sure you can go on? Yeah. Um, so there's an infamous spot on the Camino that's, I mean, how many miles long? It's a couple days, I believe, long. More than that. It's like Three four, days, four or five days. Man, it's been a while. Um, but it's a long haul and it's called the Meseta. And this area of the Camino is infamously flat and very um there's it's just it's one of those spaces where you can see forever and you will walk an entire day and your the landscape does not change it it really looks very similar day after day and whereas other parts on the camino you know you're you there's so much of a mind game when you're walking so 
if, if you can't see what's coming, you're not anticipating, you, you kind of get lost in the, in the movement and, and the, the visual, um, you know, nature surrounding you. But on the Maseta, you can see how many miles you have to go and you can see how slowly you are walking there. And so it can be a really, really hard time for people. And it infamously also is the, is the time where a lot of folks will say, I'm catching a bus. I'm walk. I'm, I'm going to do the whole Camino except for right. these, this specific, particular spot on the Meseta. And um, it really, people talk about it. It's, it, it's what people are talking about at the beginning and, and what they're going to do when they get there and how will their mindset be when they get there and if they'll be able to make it through. And um, Tony, what was your experience on the Meseta? Well, there are so many people who do bus that section. They just, they just skip it, you know, and, um, what, what, what a loss to not do the hard work, to not, to not let, to not embrace the delayed gratification Hmm. um, is so important. And it's a, it's a massive part of human formation. It always has been, um, Fasting, limiting oneself, embracing the desert, embracing difficulty is, I mean, you cannot find a spiritual um, uh, system in human history that doesn't wax about the importance of those times and how much they are transformed into the human soul. And for me, the Maseta was, uh, I kind of doubled down. I kind of, I decided just get up earlier and to really sort of grab the day on those days mm. set out and make sure that when i hit that when i hit the edge of whatever village i was staying in that my earphones were in and the music was loud and i you know i would dance out of town you know and make a fool of myself you know with my with my walking poles spinning <laughs> above my head as I, <laughs> I did that too i did that too down the road because it's just like this is it. This is this is part of what I want to do. So, Carl, I thought maybe what you and I would do, and this is completely, this is completely spontaneous. Um, I thought maybe we would make some goals for this next for this this Maseta experience we're about to have here. Yeah. To, okay. How to grab this next couple of weeks? How to grab it? Say so we're going to. We are going to actually live well during this time, not go passive, not not numb our way through it by eating too much and drinking too much and sleeping too much, though we may do some of those things as well. But how do we really grab this time? All right, so let's just try this. You ready? You got, okay. you got a, piece, a piece of paper? I do. Okay. Kari, what is one what is one relational activity you're going to do over the next, I'm writing down relational in my notebook. One relational activity you're going to add to your life over that, that's, that's COVID acceptable over the next couple of weeks. All right. Why relational you- activity. So I've been doing this thing where I meet every Saturday morning with my buddy, Brad, who is a pastor. Mm-hmm. California, and we meet every Saturday morning. We both sit on our front porch. We both make a cup of coffee. We and we sit. And we talk for like two or three hours, and it's sort of our thing that we do every Saturday morning. And the fact that we're both on our front porch, we both have our cup of coffee, and we have FaceTime open. We're doing it on FaceTime. There's enough that we're sharing that it feels like we're together. 
Hmm. What I want to do is I want to do that with at least one other person. I've got a few people in mind. One would be Patrick, our, our mutual friend Patrick in Finland. Yeah. The great thing about COVID that people don't talk about is we've folded space in COVID. Like, mm-hmm. since I can't get together with my friend across town, my friend across town, I have to meet on Zoom. Well, my friend in Finland, I also meet on Zoom and they feel like they're equally close because we've sort of folded space a little bit. So um, I might I might do it with my friend Patrick or maybe my brother-in-law in Oklahoma. Gonna mm. find a time to sit on the front porch, make a cup of coffee and be together. So that's my thing. Oh, I love that. That is inspiring me. I have a very dear friend um, in in Spain and Spain is in just as much of a lockdown as we are here uh, or going into. And probably, I think actually more, it's more enforced. Um, and she is a dear friend from, well, she's Icelandic, but she and her, her family, her three boys live in, um, in, in Santiago. And she actually, I met her actually after I walked my, my second Camino there. And, um, and she's just been through, had a really hard year. Um, not because of COVID because of, I mean, because of COVID, but also just personally. So I think reaching out to her, we, we talk occasionally, but you're right. It is, it is interesting how, I love that term. I love that term folding space because equally my friend in Colorado is, or my friend in, in Spain is just as close as my friend in Colorado at this point in time, right? right? So, right. Or your friend. Um, yeah. So I think that's a great idea. And I know that she needs that support. And so... Um, connecting with her will be really good. That's a good idea. I'm writing that down. Great. Awesome. We've got a relational goal. Let's do a spiritual or meditative goal. So one of the things that when I was walking the Meseta, and actually I will say, I actually enjoyed the Meseta. I don't know if it was just the headspace I was in, but I found it to be really beautiful. I mean, I didn't enjoy my body was in a lot of pain at that point, but I didn't, the beauty of the Meseta, like it was, it was almost, it was almost like, do you, do you remember being in high school and someone be like, did you get so-and-so teacher? You know, did you get Mr. Batchelder? And you're like, oh, I got him for history. And they're like, oh, he's horrible. And then you go and have this teacher and they're amazing. Right. I've, I had this, that experience happen all the time where either he was really hard or something happened. And, and so you, everyone else has this perspective of it. And so when I got on the Meseta, both my sister and I really thought it was a beautiful, it was a beautiful space. It was def- definitely hard and it was definitely different. But I just remember the like, this is gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna wax poetic here, but the way the wind would move through the grass because you could see the grass for miles and it would look like you, the color would shift and it would go from like, lime to like kind of a fur color and then it would go dark almost black it was just stunning and it would just keep me entertained for hours honestly um so and that felt spiritual to me and so one of the things that i've been lacking in this time is i haven't been doing sort of my daily drawing Mm. and i would really like to get back to that so whether that's doesn't have to be long but just committing to doing a 30 minute drawing hmm. every day, every day, five days a week. Oh, woof, it feels like, yes, every day. I'm going to do wow. it every day for the next two. I mean, I've done a hundred days. I know that I can do this two weeks is nothing. So, but it is, it is, 
it does feel more intense in this time because I feel it's, it's like one of the, it's like working out for me when I get, to, it's getting to getting out of bed, getting to the, getting the clothes on, getting to the gym kind of thing. It's like getting to the table and getting down, getting sit it. Wow sitting down and actually doing it once I've started to do it, that's where I enter into that meditative space. And that's where I actually feel really connected spiritually to a lot of just like that slowing down. Right. And so, but I haven't seemed to make it to the table lately. And I think I just start to numb before I get there, to be honest with you, or I sleep. I'm sleep is my escape these days. And it's been really, really hard to feel motivated. So telling you this and telling our listeners this, I'm going to commit to it. So there we go. How about you? What would you, what would be your commitment spiritually? Well, I have gotten away. I, I've gotten away from my little morning ceremony that I do that I've done in the past. And so I'm, I'm going to get back to it. And it's just, um, I have a little, I have a collection of candles in one corner of the dining room and there's five big candles and there's nine small candles. And what I do is I, so I light the five big candles and each candle, as I light it, I say something that I want to be true of me. Like I want to be, I want to be a father who, who communicates affection to each one of my sons today. And I'll light a candle, right? So five things I want to be true of me. And then the nine smaller candles I, I light for other people or other things that I care about. So I almost always, almost every morning when I do it, I light one for you, Kari, and for Pilgrim Lost, that, okay. that our community would be healthy and that they would find life and that we would be living fully together. So that's one of them, one of my nine candles. And I light one for, I've got a Thursday morning small group and I've got, and you know, some of my friends that live overseas and different things, I'll light a candle for them. So that's just, so a five minute ceremony, it sort of sets my heart and then I let the candles burn for, you know, 15 minutes to half hour, just to be a reminder that these, you know, it's a, it's a historical metaphor, you know, to watch the, the, watch the smoke drift up into heaven, watch the vapors head in towards heaven as a way to express your heart's desire. So I'm going to do that. I'm going to try and do that. I love that idea. Can I, can I, can I take a little piece of that idea? Yeah. I think I, I love the idea of Sometimes when, for me, when I'm, con you know, in contemplation or prayer and I think of a person, sometimes it feels like there's so many people to pray for, right? Or there's so many people to think about. And especially right now, there's so many things that are overwhelming you. So I kind of like the idea of like just picking one for the day and doing one candle and, right. and sort of focusing on that person. So I think I might do that as well. Well, that might be your one thing because my next category was something creative or inspirational. Oh, so I might, you might accomplish two. Yeah, that might be the double. Like I maybe I love the idea of the candle for the spiritual piece. I love the visual of that, Tony. You've always been a person from the moment I met you. You've been a person that have have brought really this tangible liturgical piece into my life, like no other person that I know. And I I love the idea of having something visual to represent what's going on internally. And so I'm going to do the candle I'm switching candle spiritual. And then the drawing will be the creative piece. I mean, they kind of, they all kind of go together. Yeah. Um, creative, creative, creative. I don't really have a good idea on creative. I mean, so much of my work is creative that I, I might just sort of punt a little bit and my director will be happy to hear me say this, but um, I've got a couple of scripts to write for the documentary. One is, 
we want to do this this bit on like a like an infomercial like like a get like get get rich quick infomercial as part of our documentary on literacy so um, i have to write that script and so i'm gonna i need to start working on that this week and then another another um another infomercial on a Okay, so if you do infomercial, you, an infomercial, wow, I'm really slurring my words. It's clearly I haven't had enough tea this morning. You have to have the line, you not only get. Right, right. <laughs> very nice, absolutely. Yes, the Ginzu knives or something, well, something that cuts through a tire. My creative is just going to be work on some of the creative aspects of what the documentary. Sounds good. That sounds right, good. Let's do um, recreational physical. One thing to add to your life. Oh, to add. See, I've actually been doing, uh, here, I'm going to give myself a little COVID pat on the back because throughout COVID, I've been doing, um, you know, based on all of my back issues that I've had this year, I do a 30-minute stretching yoga routine every morning. That's kind of my kind of my set or my way to kind of set the day. And I do a little, like, I use some in, you know, doTERRA oil in the morning, right before I do the yoga, and then I do the yoga, and then I do a prayer, kind of a, a little, a little prayer that I have. And I've been doing that every day. And I, that is probably the longest that I've ever, I've been doing it now, probably six months. And, and for the most part, I do it every day. And that is really rare for me. Um, so I'm not sure to add to it. Hmm. Or maybe that's it. Maybe just continue to do that and make that a priority. I think I'm just going to continue to do that because it's been, um, it's been really good. I might maybe, maybe make it just a little bit longer because I'm, I've actually, you know, when you in an, any sort of exercise routine, you kind of reach a point where you're like, you're kind of coasting, you know, maybe adding in a little bit of maybe, I, I think I'd actually like to do some, a little bit more yoga than I'm doing now. So maybe I'll make it just a little longer. Yeah. I'm thinking along the same lines. I've been, I've lost kayaking because the weather's gotten so poopy. Um, yeah. And, and the wetlands are all empty because they need the water for the salmon runs. So my wetlands are empty and the sky's yucky. So I've lost kayaking. And so I just think I need to double down on walking. So I think I'm just going to push myself to do, uh, try to get closer to 15,000 steps a day. That's, that's getting close to 10 miles a day. Dang, Tony. That's, I'm going to put down. That's awesome. All right, last one is uh, sort of a, uh, what you take into your body to help oh. stay healthy and whole. Well, actually, I do have something. Stop taking into your body or it could be something. <laughs> I'm, I'm giving up heroin. That's what I'm doing. <laughs> well done. Um, <laughs> Oh, I know. Well, I did just, it's actually this week. I'm going to, I'm going to continue with this one because it is challenging is um, I decided to, I've been having some, some health issues. Won't go into all of them, but a lot of it is based on like inflammation. Like I wake up in the morning and my hands, I've, I have arthritis and mm -hmm. um, something that my mom has had for many years. And it's just, it's like, I can't even open and close my hands without pain. Um, so one of the things that someone recommended, um, my acupuncturist, as I was chatting with her is she really feels like gluten might be a part of it. And so, um, I tr kind of half-assedly had tried this before where I kind of went off of it for like three days, but then I didn't, but then I went, you know, and she's like, no, you really have to do 
the full thing. You have to, and you have to do it for at least minimum six weeks. It's better if 12. She says it takes so long for it to get out of your system. So I, this last week was my first week back on the no gluten train. And um, so that's what I'm doing. I'm going to continue with that. And, you know, for those of you out there who've done this your whole lives because you're a celiac or you're gluten intolerant, man, there's a lot of gluten in the world. (laughs) I had no idea. But also, I feel very lucky because there have been so many advances. There's so much delicious gluten-free, you know, things in the world. I'm super grateful. And there's lovely pastas and desserts and all the things, but you just have to be really intentional about it. And here's the other thing is you also have to be not afraid to create a boundary with other people. So, you know, you, I, you know, you hate being the girl that's going to bring her own pasta over or whatever, but you know, it's kind of you're like, Oh, I don't want to be that person, but, but really it's for my own health. And if this results in having no inflammation in my hands, you know, I will do it till the cows come home because, you know, trying to do artwork with this pain in my hand is really tough. So anyway, gluten-free. How about you, Tony? So ever since last March when Amy and I did that cleanse, you know, I really had changed my diet and I've, you know, kept my weight down and it's been great. Well, you know, the last few weeks that's been waning significantly. I have been- (laughs) I don't know why. I've been enjoying many a potato chip. (laughs) occasional bowl of peanut butter chocolate ice cream in the evenings and and i just i just feel you know i I just feel the fatigue you know of i just i just want to comfort myself with with why are you irish right now (laughs) (laughs) oh oh i'm not i can't even get there right now but uh uh, so I think I just, I need to get back to, I want to get back to being more closer to paleo, no, get rid of the processed foods. I love it. I mean, I just, uh, those are my favorite. I mean, meat and vegetables, are my favorite food anyway, so I should just embrace it. So that's what I'm doing. So I'm going to get back there and it'll be, it'll, it'll just be because I'm, I'm, I'm feeling yucky. I'm feeling lazy. I'm feeling gooky. Yeah. Gooky. That is, that is a very descriptive word. I feel gooky too. Some of my gookiness is probably diet and physical activity r- related. So, all right. So, Kari, we, we got five categories here. A relational, uh, spiritual, meditative, creative, um, recreational, and then dietary are our five categories. And for you, I wrote down that relationally you're going to connect with your Icelandic, lovely Icelandic friend who lives in Spain. Yes. Um, you are going to do a little candle lighting ceremony every morning. You are going to do a daily drawing, which I think is the most courageous of everything that's been said here. Um, you're going to extend your yoga every morning, and you're going you're going gluten free to get through yeah. Kate Brown's uh, quarantine. Yes, and um, you were very good about taking notes for me. I did not take notes for you, but I think I can remember them all. So relationally, you are going to have a little porch connection session with um, not only your friend Brad, but another person potentially, maybe one or two people, maybe Patrick, correct? Maybe Patrick, yeah. And then for your uh, spiritual piece, you're going to kind of reinstate the morning uh, session of candles and prayer and um, sort of, or, you know, connecting in that way, like with the the candles representing the folks in your life, your family and different people that you're, that you're keeping on your mind during the day. True. 
then for your, your creative, you're going to work on some scripts that have need to be worked on um, to kind of push your project forward. Then um, let's see, uh, recreationally, you're going to just kind of up the walking, up the walking, get it up to 10 miles, which I think is blows my mind. Like, <laughs> I mean, I love walking, but you are a walker, my friend. And I, I'm so, I'm so happy that I actually was a, one of the main people that got you to walk. <laughs> it makes me really happy. And then your last piece, um, health-wise, you're just going to get back to um, some of the ways you were eating when you were on the on that sort of um, the diet or or the healthier lifestyle. Let's not use the word diet. Let's use healthier lifestyle. My post potato chip reality. <laughs> That's right. All right. So, and uh, everyone listening, we encourage you to maybe think through some areas of your life because, um, again, we can either embrace these times or we can try and numb our way through them. And uh, and living whole is is being present to the moment. And um, and days are precious, and people are precious. So, all right. That's what I got for today, Car. You got anything else? I don't, I just, um, I would, I, if you guys have some things that you're doing, we'd love to hear them. Uh, email us, let us know um, what you guys are doing in these days and those, maybe those five areas uh, to, to keep, to keep intentional. And like Tony said, to not numb. And it is so tempting to numb. And when we do, and just to say that if you do numb, that is not, we, there's no, no shame in numbing. We just are trying to move forward, you know, get some movement in our days and get some intentionality. So um, I hope that this pod was helpful for you guys. And um, we just really appreciate your, you as listeners. So thank you so much. All right. Thanks y'all. I'm going to go walking. You do it. Thank you for walking with us. To stay connected, visit us at pilgrimlost.com. Please comment, share, and respond.